Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Mel Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California. Hi, I'm Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic, also here in Orange County. Today, we are talking to Yaya Atabe Samudra. They are an Afro-Indigenous, queer, and trans herbalist, activist, full-spectrum birth worker, artist, and initiated womb healer. Hi, Yaya. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's so great to have you. Very glad to have you here. So is there something specific about birth that has always lit your fire? What are you passionate about? Hmm. I love doing ceremonies prior to birth and after birth. I think that's a really important part that gets kind of lost in the sauce per se. Um, I find that a lot of people in their day-to-day lives get caught up um, and they have every right to be caught up in this of just, okay, they're having children uh, or they're having a child. How are they going to do this with work or with their partner, with their families? How are they going to welcome this child into their life and then start a family? And I think that it becomes very automatic, especially if you're not having an at-home birth with relatives around or elders in your family. Um, It becomes very much like what we see on TV or in movies almost, instead of being something that's very personal and rooted within your own ancestry. So for me in my work, that's my role is to remind people, no matter what their background is, um, whether they have a connection to their ethnic roots or not, is to help them to have that awareness of this is a ceremony, you welcoming a new being into this world. This is also a ceremony for you as parents, as birthing persons, to go through a rites of passage, and you declare yourself what that rites of passage is as you welcome this new child into this physical world. And I'm there to help them facilitate that ceremony, even if it's you know a one-and-done ceremony or if it's over a span of time. And I, I may do this through my work as a birth worker, as a doula, um, or I may just be hired, like contracted to work with family specifically um, to initiate and have these ceremonies, you know, either for the mother or the birthing person or, or for the fathers too, as they go through a rites of passage. That's really cool. I really like that idea of turning the birth into an actual ceremony. I feel like that's something that's really lost in the American culture is, is that this is a celebration. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways it's treated just as a medical thing and it's sort of impersonal in some ways. Um, I know when, uh, when you and I talked before, you talked a lot about alchemy and this, this transmutation that we go through from maiden to mother, um, and I know you touched on it again just now with the, the rite of passage into this. Can you tell our listeners a little more about that? I thought it was so beautiful the way you talked about it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So if you are a menstruating person, um, and I want to be gender inclusive with my language, if you are a menstruating person, you naturally go through what we refer to as the four feminine archetypes through your menstrual cycle each month. So it starts with the maiden and goes into the enchantress the mother, and then the crone. And so the crone is usually when you are bleeding. And then you return back to the maiden the first week after your menstrual cycle ends. And so 
there's another four words that we use when we're talking about the menstrual cycle and it's menstruation and then it's follicular and then it's ovulatory and then it's luteal. And so it's the same language. Luteal is crone and menstruation is also crone. Follicular is maiden, enchantress, and then mother is ovulatory. And so when you are a menstruating person throughout your life, you go through three of those phases and it's you are a maiden from the time you are a child up into your time when you're pregnant. And that's when you transition into the phase of the mother. And then it's later on when you are going through menopause, if you have that opportunity to go through menopause, then you become a crone and become a wise like woman or wise person rather. Yeah. And I, I want to mention to our listeners, I know in English, the word crone has a lot of negative connotations to it. But traditionally speaking, the crone was looked at as the wise woman. That was the person you went to because she had all of the knowledge. They had already gone through all of these processes. They had been through the maiden phase and the mother phase, and they were honored and respected in the society. And I think it's it's really important that we recognize that the crone is not a negative thing. It's actually a really positive thing. And it's something that that when people reached that phase, they were honored and respected. Um, and I think that's lost in American culture, especially white American culture. Yeah. I like there's an enchantress in there. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, that's usually when you're feel when you're feeling very sensual, sexual, very creative. You like to take more risks during that time. You like to be very bold with your what you choose to wear, how you choose to express yourself. It's when you're just feeling very much in your in your own element and your confidence. Yeah, I kind of tend to see that as like when we step out and we feel like this is us, this is me, this is who <laughs> I am, like that kind yes. of phase where you get that like. I don't care what you think. This is me. This is what I'm doing. Kind of attitude. Yeah. So when you're just like taking a lot of selfies because you're just really feeling yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling cute today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. How do we honor and respect the phases we go through? Not just pregnancy and birth, but you know, the ones through the monthly moon cycle as well. Hmm. Yeah, so a lot of my, I've realized this now, um, in my work, I'm going to be focusing more on the menstrual cycle and using that as a grounding force within our lives. I firmly believe that if you are following your menstrual cycle, not just, you know, logging it into an app and tracking it that way, but being aware of each week of, you know, the month and how that correlates to the feminine archetypes. Um, which are energies, they're not necessarily related to a womanly body. It has that name and that connotation, but it's honestly just an energy that you're that you're experiencing and that you already have within you. Um, and then it's important to pay attention to the other four phases of when you are ovulating, when you're in the follicular stages, when you're in the luteal phase. I think that if you are rooted within this, then you can understand your life at a much like wider, expansive scope you can make better life decisions because when it, you're in your follicular phase, for example, that's it starts midway through menstruation. That's not a time to be traveling. That's not a time to be making business decisions. You know, your energy is very much up in the air. You're, you feel it in your body also. Um, progesterone and estrogen levels, to bring it down into a medical sense, they're not balanced. They're kind of fluctuating and that's okay. So you want to work with herbs or different holistic practices that allow that fluctuation to occur with ease. And then once you've grounded yourself and your energy is 
it's back to uh, like homeostasis. And that's usually when you're entering the ovulatory phase. And then you're able to make better decisions. You think you're able to make decisions that align with your current energy that work for you. You're more aware of your boundaries, any agreements that you have with yourself, with society, with your relationships. Everything's very clear and calm. So that's usually time when we feel very confident and very self-aware in a positive sense. So I think that if people were more aware of, you know, the phases of their menstrual cycle, as well as the feminine archetypes and how they embody them on an individual level, I think life in itself could be experienced with much more ease, especially because we live in such a capitalistic, patriarchal society. And I think that if we were to know our menstrual cycles in this intimate level, this would protect us from what we experience when we step outside of our door and go out into the world. That's I love that. I love that. I actually have a friend who a few years ago, she started living her life by her monthly moon cycle. And she actually reached out and I said, Hey, you know, do you want to get together and hang out on on this day? And she goes, you know, that's actually my week where I stay home. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't make any appointments. I just, I need to be home for one week a month and that's my week. And, you know, and that's what she was referring to was she was living through, uh, trying to live in harmony with that cycle and um, that was her menstrual week and she was like you know I feel better when I'm just at home in my own space and I don't go places and I don't schedule big work events during that week and you know she seemed really happy and confident the other times when I saw her because she knew you know when I'm not feeling well when I'm not feeling my best she had that space and that rest built into her schedule because she was aware of it and she knew it was coming and she wasn't feeling stressed out in hindsight. Like, Oh, why did I, you know, pack too much in during this week when I shouldn't have, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. I I love that self-awareness that she has. It's so protecting and nurturing of her own energy as well as her relationships because she's able to be very honest. And I think that's how we honor these these phases, these changes within ourselves is just by having that awareness, accepting it, and then moving with it, like not allowing it to control us or restrict us, but just finding a balance and allowing that balance to shift over time. And we learn how to communicate with our bodies much more and with the bodies, you know, of people around us, with our partners, um, our siblings, you know, our parents, our friends. I think that's really important. I know um, another thing that we had talked about um, the last time I spoke to you, you talked about how the divine is within us, how, you know, so much of the time we spend our time looking outwardly to find the divine and really it's within us. And I mentioned how it felt like that gut check, that gut knowledge was, that was my intuition. That was the divine speaking to me. And you mentioned that gut knowledge is really womb knowledge. Can you elaborate on that idea a little bit? Because I really loved that. Yes. Um, so when we often refer to our gut. I mean, your gut is your stomach. It's your digestive tract. And so your stomach is located on your left side, very much tucked under your rib cage. Um, so it's not actually like this metaphorical gut that we're referring to. And your digestive tract, it actually is a whole area of your abdomen. And on an energetic level, we're talking about chakras. This is the sacral and the solar plexus and the root chakra. 
So I think when people are saying their gut, they're referring to these three chakras, these energy centers that work together to, they essentially are, are mm, what's the word I'm looking for? That is our intuition. And so in my work, I remind people that have a uterus, your uterus, you know, your womb, that is your, that's your intuition. That is the home of intuition. Intuition is birthed from the womb space. And we have gotten into a habit in our culture of having intuition that comes from our, our mind or our ego. And that's conditioned intuition, which goes against your natural self. And then there's authentic earth intuition that comes from deep within you. It comes from the womb. And so essentially you have to decolonize yourself. You have to do that work of decolonizing, of deprogramming everything that you know about yourself and your intuition to reach this clear standing point where you can then rebirth your authentic intuition, which may be related to your ancestors or may just be related to you in this current lifetime. And when you have a uterus, if you are a menstruating person, it's really good to remember that what we consider up is actually down and down is up. And what I mean by that is we often talk about in the spiritual community ascending or evolving. And we think it's something that happens like beyond the crown chakra. But if you have a uterus and you are a menstruating person, your ascension is happening downward into the earth. That is where your intuition is coming from. It comes from, you know, your earth star chakra, which is located beneath your feet and it rises upward into the root chakra, into the sacral, into the solar plexus. And that is what grounds you here in your physical body and on earth. So it's that intuition that matters the most. So it's grounding mm -hmm. rather than like, I feel like we often look at it as like this celestial knowledge, but really it's a grounding knowledge that we're tapping into. Yes. I mean, there is a, a celestial knowledge, um, but that is accessed through the heart chakra. But if you do not have a very healthy grounded root chakra, you don't have a fully activated womb connection with the earth, with the cycles of nature, the laws of nature, the laws of the universe, then it's going to be very hard to integrate that with celestial intuition, which is all related to the heart chakra. And if we're talking about Christianity, a lot of people are familiar with the sacred heart of Jesus. He was more so referring to the tree of life, referring to the Kabbalah and the heart chakra being the Merkaba which is the sacred chariot that guides you to your ascendant masters or other dimensional planes. That is celestial intuition that's accessed through the heart chakra. But it's those lower chakras that need to be stable and activated to then connect to the heart and then connect to other, the higher up chakras. That's so interesting. There's something kind of like that in chiropractic, old school chiropractic, it's gotten much more scientific, but the concept of what's called innate intelligence mm -hmm. is basically um, as chiropractors, you know, we adjust bones and allow the free freedom of movement of information in between nerves. And it's that basically what it's viewed as the innate intelligence is what goes through your nerves that keeps your body, you know, all the messages that go through your body. And uh, that's very interesting how, you know, different, uh, I guess, areas of expertise kind of have similar um, concepts of the, you know, the various, I guess, the, the spirit or the, you know, the celestial or innate intelligence mm. that we have for chiropractic. And you see that a lot in people that uh, don't manage stress very well, which is such a common thing here in the U.S. because they're overweight or, you know, they've experienced PTSD or a term that I've recently come across, it's called SST, which is like societal sexual trauma. 
And that's something that we experience through our media, our music, you know, films and TV, um, even in the news with how Trump talks about violating women or his opinions on women's self-worth and, and whatnot, like that is societal sexual trauma that influences how we perceive ourselves and our intuition um, and how we show up essentially. So our nerves are very much connected to that intelligence as we receive information through the body and the nerves can be programmed and into, you know, it's, it's almost like you're a hard drive. It's like if the nerves are programmed into that false conditioning, that's very toxic, it can shape the body. It shapes the way the body functions, how it receives information, how it processes information. And I mean, not just like emotional information, but like physical information, like your food even. And I think, if you've experienced a lot of trauma or a lot of pain in your life um, or just, you know, from living in the U S or like a Western society to an extent you've experienced some type of trauma, um, my nudes were on a grandiose scale. And I think that it would be really helpful for people to like work with different herbs that are nervine tonics that help to heal the central nervous system and heal the way it connects to the rest of the body, how it processes emotions, the way we even approach emotional situations. It's really interesting. That'd be very interesting. Yeah, these herbs, they, they help to clear how you experience emotions. And then they clear the way that you interact with others and their emotions. And you find like this common ground and you're there for like, you're relearning about yourself and life. That's like a whole study within plant medicine is working with nervine tonics to do just that. Hmm. I'd love to explore more into that at a later date because that seems like another episode by itself. <laughs> yes. It sounds so cool. I love it all. <laughs> yeah. But to get back to to pregnancy um, and birth, you know, with these these four um, these four phases and these these archetypes, when we, if you are a birthing person, when you are pregnant, you are descending. So think about a spiral, and the womb is also symbolized by a spiral or a mandala. You are starting from the outer edge, and you are walking your way all the way in. And once you get to the middle, that's essentially when you are going through labor. And then after labor, in the postpartum phase, you're walking out. And this walk, it, it continues until you are in the crone stage, which is the very end of the mandala. And then you evolve into another shape or form after this life. So when you are descending, you know, there's so many different stories and myths on this but essentially they all have this theme of we are descending into the underworld of ourselves and the underworld of our society our culture our this planet it's all of these things that are occurring within us that you experience and oftentimes with the mothers and birthing persons that I work with they feel alone even though they may have a supportive partner or they may have you know supportive friends and family there's just certain gates gateways within yourself that you you can only access, you know, alone. And they even feel detached from the being that they are preparing to bring into this world. And that's because you need to go through that, this underworld on your own. I think that's, that's actually really true. Having gone through birth twice, I had Jeremy with me both times. I had a friend also with me the first time and a doula with me the second time. And yeah, at some point, you kind of lose awareness of who else is with you mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are going through this journey and it's all you can focus on. I, I know that there were other people in the room with me with my second child. Um, I've shared this before on the podcast that 
um, I had a hospital birth the second time because I had to for medical reasons. Um, my younger one was born with a congenital heart defect, had to be born in a hospital for monitoring. Um, so I know we had an entire NICU team basically in the delivery room with me. I couldn't tell you how many people. I don't remember what they look like. I completely was unaware of anybody else at that time because I was in my own world. I was going through my own journey through that. And I, I think a lot of other pregnant women and a lot of other birthing people would would back me up that they, you know, went through something similar in their own story. It's it's amazing how your focus on all on anything external is gone. And so I, I actually really liked that image where you were talking about a mandala and as you're going in, you know, you're you're going spiraling towards the center during your pregnancy and then labor, you start spiraling back out. And I think a lot of um, pregnant persons latch onto this idea of a flower opening or a mandala being created from the inside out or, you know, it's very circular, but it's also very organic a lot of these things as the cervix opens these are the images that were that were given or that we fixate on so it's really fascinating that that's the point where you start at the center and you start opening back up is labor itself when we have these images and these symbols fixed in our minds anyway Mm -hmm. that they that those match up yeah and just to backtrack I think it's really important to talk about that when we are descending down and when we are reaching to that arrival space of birth, of labor, you are coming face to face with who you chose to be in this lifetime. You're coming face to face with any conditioning that you have experienced as a part of being in a body on this earth, in this world that we live in. It's any ancestral karma or any karma that you've accumulated. Um, It's any fears that you have about yourself, about being a parent, about being a mother, about being a partner. It's its everything that's coming to the surface within you. So that's the realm of this underworld. And it can be very intense and very scary for many people because this is the only time that they've actually are even aware that this is what they're going through, or that this is a realm within them. Um, and I think that's why it's really important to be aware of your menstrual cycles because then you are aware of these cycles of life, death, rebirth. So when you are descending you're prepared for it. You have things in place. You have a line of communication with your body, with your womb. You are aware of some type of ancestral practice or something that grounds you as you're going through these experiences. And without that, it can be very chaotic and intense. Yeah. I feel like I also hear a lot of um, birthing persons talk about having a, um, like a redemption birth. So, you know, their first one or their second one didn't go the way that they pictured, maybe physically, but also emotionally, that that fear or whatever they were facing that you're talking about when they face that in their underworld moment in their, you know, during that process, it it can be really traumatizing. And so having another pregnancy another birth where they go through that again but this time they're prepared this time they know what to expect they know what they're facing and they know how to handle things better um 
and then they come out of it and it's a healing process instead of a traumatizing process. And I think that that's something that um, is often overlooked in our society, that birth can be healing. It doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be pain and suffering. It can be light and healing and joyful and courageous. It can be all of this beauty. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I think what you offer with with the birth ceremonies is so beautiful because you're you're helping people go into this with that mindset of this is going to be beautiful. This is a celebration. This is this is wonderful and healing and not scary and and fearful and traumatic to be fair the the judeo-christian narrative of birth of pain and labor being a punishment doesn't help any of this you know it's having that kind of as what is kind of the basis of you know at least white society is uh definitely puts this sort of edge of fear into the birthing process because that is the whole you know Eve was cursed with pain during labor because of deceiving Adam and all that fun stuff there. Um, but yeah, you had mentioned how like some women feel alone. So if one of our listeners is a pregnant person near their final stages, what can they do to sort of prepare for this journey? I would say start with acknowledging that time doesn't exist because that sounds very stressful to be in your the, the last week of your term. Um, about to give birth or no matter where you are it's to just remember that like time doesn't exist at least for you right now just let that be a mantra force field of protection and then allow yourself to breathe in that space of like time doesn't exist I declare and manifest this experience for myself so that way you're then reclaiming your power your control over this present situation so you're not overwhelmed and you feel like it's something sitting on top of you per se the next thing I would say is to acknowledge the cycles of nature. We are aware of it to some extent, but we don't recognize it as something that happens within us. And we don't recognize that connection we have with nature because a lot of us live in cities or you know, we're always driving or we don't spend enough time outside or we're not connected to the land um, as you know my indigenous ancestors were or wherever your ancestors are from. So that connection to earth isn't there. And if that connection to earth isn't there, then there's no connection to who you are and you don't see yourself as the same as mother earth. So you have to start with acknowledging that you do experience life, death and rebirth throughout your living, waking life. And that's really important is to just hold space for that truth and recognize how that shows up for you on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, how it shows up in your partnerships, your friendships, your family, your life experiences. Once you are there. I love that. I love that you included the yearly cycle as well just now. That's something I noticed a few years ago. Um, I tend to do a lot of crafting as hobby. Like I, I just like creating things. And I noticed a few years ago, I don't craft in January, February, March. I just don't. And I thought it was super weird at first, like when I first pinpointed like, wow, I never, I never make anything in the beginning of the year. And then I realized, well, like, that's silly. 
neither does the earth. The earth takes the winter months to rest and calm before growing again. And once I made that connection that like, because when I first thought of it, I was like, oh, I need to try this year. I need to make sure that this year I I make an effort to make something during those months and like keep being, you know, keep being creative. And then I realized like, no, that's my, my body was already knowing I needed to take a break. I needed to stop and run. And I, I mean, I know it's totally silly and it's totally, you know, a little disconnected from what we're talking about, but once I realized that, I realized that there were other things in my life that followed that same pattern of like, during these few months of the year, I don't do such and such or like, you know, I take a break from this or that or the other thing. And so it's kind of fascinating that like, not only do do we as uterus having people go through monthly cycles, but we as humans go through yearly cycles. We're just so disconnected from it, living in these big cities, not surrounded by nature. We're, we've just completely disconnected from the earth's natural rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think realizing that disconnection, um, it, it can be really hard for people. Um, but I mean, it, it's okay. You have to just accept it. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get at here is to just accept everything that comes your way. Because when you fully accept it, you've allowed acceptance to wash over you, to cleanse you. Then that's when you can arrive at a place of, of gratitude, of just being undeniably just thankful for everything. And it's that gratitude that rebirths you. And it's that gratitude that integrates your fears into who you are because they have shaped you and they were meant to. And then it's it's only at that point of just being fully grateful for everything, seen and unseen, known and unknown, that you can then move on and start to spiral upward again. And that's something that you have to practice on a daily basis is that gratitude. Every day waking up saying, I am thankful, thank you, thank your body, listen to your body. That's one way of showing gratitude you know, thank your partners and what they've experienced in this lifetime, because everyone around us is just a mirror back to us of who we are and the growth that we need to go through in this lifetime. You know, I I think a lot of us are disconnected from that, no matter what your spiritual or, you know, religious beliefs are, it's like you are here in a body to experience something. And for that, you must be grateful. You know, it's a requirement. It's the laws of the universe, you know, that's, it's the laws of nature to be grateful Nature is grateful. If you're spending a lot of time outside, you can witness that. You know, if you're in the mountains, you see the different birds and how they hunt with the land. They are grateful that the elements are working in their favor to feed them, to show them how to take flight, how to land gently and hunt their prey. Like that is an act of gratitude. may not be expressed verbally as we would communicate, but all of life is just in this cycle of life, death, rebirth and showing gratitude at all times. And we must we must restore that within ourselves. And that's the only way we're going to transmute our fears, transmute our experiences and elevate our consciousness, our life, everything to an energy that really works with us and for us. I love that. That's so beautiful. Yes. (laughs) The whole point I want to make about this is when you are aware of this transition, excuse me, when you're aware of this transition from maiden to mother, it's important to realize that your fears, if not, if they do not die, if you don't allow them to experience, you know, a death and then a rebirth, you will project that onto your children and you will raise them from the perspective of that fear. 
And I think that's what you're kind of tapping into when you mentioned redemption births, because I've experienced that too with clients where the first child, they were just kind of like in flux. And then they may have a second or third child and they finally found a rhythm with them with themselves and their partners and their life as a whole. And so those children were birthed with ease. Um, but it's they may have a difficult relation with the first child and it's because they are projecting those fears still with that child and that child symbolizes to them that disconnection they had. And of course there's love there, but it's always just like, oh, that's the difficult one, you know, like that's a, a something we see in our in our culture. I was my mother's first child and you know, I'm seen as the, the difficult one because my mother had no idea what she was doing. And so for her, it's like, I symbolized that of like, I had no idea what I was doing with you. So it's like, I am immediately met with, it's like the challenging one, you know, that's not my nature. And so I think it's really important for, for birthing persons to be aware of that, that they are projecting that onto their children unconsciously, mm-hmm. even though that there is love there, that is still a projection and that their child picks up on this in the womb because the placenta feeds the child and the umbilical cord is connected to the child. And then when it is cut like that, whatever imprint is in utero, that the child feels that it is therefore fed into them. It affects their nervous system. It affects whatever brain waves that they're having at that time. And then when they are birthed, they carry that with them throughout their life. And it can manifest as like this shadow that's always looming over them until they realize that like, oh, this is just something that my mother experienced in their lifetime. It truly has nothing to do with me. But some people may not have that moment of like that epiphany, you know, they just may always go throughout life being like, why do I always feel this way? And it's like, Oh, that that's not yours. It it belonged to your mother, you know? And I think that's really important for birthing persons to be aware of. Um, you don't want this imprint on your child. You don't want to raise your child from this perspective of this fear because then we're just contributing to this society of children raised in fear from fear and then further conditioning that's like rooted in fear. You know, we see it in our government today that they use fear to manipulate and control us. So not only are we feeling fear in our bodies, but then we're now sending children out into the world that's already deeply rooted in fear. And it's like, that is just not very healthy. That's not the kind of alchemy we want to be doing. Yes, yes. I read something the other day and it was something along the lines of like every person you meet is either suffering from the generational trauma or working to heal it mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of what you're touching on right now is is that generational trauma of the parents went through their trauma and they project it onto the child and that child has the choice then to either project it forward again or to work to heal that trauma Mm -hmm. and until our society collectively decides we're going to work to heal this i i don't know where we're going to end up i feel like we're just going to continue on that downward spiral Mm. but i think i think it's time that we start trying to go back up the spiral instead there have been some positives with the millennials and on generation, um, but it's going to take a long time. That's okay. We're in the inner ring of the spiral. We're yeah. baby steps. It's hard to see. Yeah. But... Now, this is might be kind of a random question or maybe a bit of a backtrack. Um, we keep 
talking about you know persons with a uterus and like you know the womb the womb knowledge and this is this is just me probably being uninformed about this kind of thing but would someone without a uterus have womb knowledge yes for sure are you referring to someone that has had a a hysterectomy or just someone that has um you know uh male genitalia or what we associate as male genitalia yeah so i guess i guess how does womb knowledge manifest for them or how can they tap into it Hmm. um if you've had a hysterectomy you still have a womb your the physical organ itself may have been removed from your body but that energetic portal that space the womb is still with you there may be a space and time where you feel disconnected from that but i think that's if that's an assignment you know from your body from the universe that you need to restore that connection of course if you um are a male identifying person um cis heterosexual or transgender male you do have a womb it's called a womb hara h-a-r-a and this is more so referred to the dantian if you're familiar with that language the dantian um so it's a bit lower than the womb that we associate with uh, beings that have a uterus so this is a bit lower but you do have a womb hara and there is intuitive knowledge there however if you are a cis heterosexual male or transgender male your womb knowledge it it's not going to be something that you channel into downwards. It's actually going to be the base is going to be downwards and think of it like a triangle. So the foundation is where the Dantian is. That's the bottom of the triangle. And it's going to point upwards towards what we know as the third eye or the crown chakra. And so it intersects across the heart chakra. And then it's a different kind of intuitive knowledge that's more so rooted in directing society forward uh protection uh protecting nurturing energy you know we're talking about like divine masculinity not toxic masculinity a divine masculinity it is aware of sacred femininity and its purpose is to protect and provide for that because without that it itself will die the sacred feminine and the divine masculine work Mm -hmm. in harmony together not at odds with each other exactly and i i think in white american culture a lot of times we see things that are opposites and we think that they're opposed to each other rather than seeing them as as being in harmony or complementary to each other the concept of yin and yang in um chinese and asian cultures you know it's all working together but for some reason you know white culture doesn't know how to do it yeah you need both to have balance Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think that's what I, I, I value the most about my work is it also reminds me that, you know, there is a cosmic womb that births all of this into being. And so we're referring to like comedic spirituality. And for those that are unaware, the comedics are the native indigenous people of ancient Egypt. So like the priestess Isis, Horus, Osiris, these were all comedics. So comedic wisdom, it teaches us that wajet which we now associate as the eye of Horus. It is actually the snake eye, which represents the pineal and the pituitary gland in the brain. So that is the third eye. Wajet is this cosmic snake that birthed this whole world into being. 
And this shows up in, across many indigenous cultures and traditions, as well as this cosmic serpentina that um, we refer to her as Sacha Mama here from South America or from the Caribbean. Sacha Mama is this, this snake. She's also identified as the Amazon River. This, they view the Amazona as one snake that goes all the way down. And so, or the Nile, for example, it, it can be viewed as like one long snake. And so it's this, this cosmic mother that birthed this world into being. And so essentially she birthed her other self, which is the divine masculine. So it's, it's all the same energy. And I think it's really important to see that in your daily life of what you are birthing. Is it more so in the sacred femininity, which gives life and also takes life? And then realizing that your, your masculine energy is what grounds it into physical form. That's so cool. I never, I never had connected all of the snake energy with rivers and bodies of water like that before. I hadn't thought of that as you know I'd never I'd never encountered that right I mean if you think about it as far as like being a birthing person the amniotic sac is it's it's filled with fluid you know yes they the midwives call it the the bag of waters Mm -hmm. and you know we hear about like you know this um the fountain of youth it's all water-based imagery it actually that makes me wonder if the fountain of youth would be amniotic fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Might be something. <laughs> Sorry, my brain that. tracks. My brain tracks a little oddly sometimes. <laughs> All right. I love that. <laughs> if you've ever seen a bag of waters actually pop, it can sometimes. It looks kind of fountain-like. So now. <laughs> yeah. I think these energies are really important to understand when you're working through the cycles in your life too, because then you are much more aware of how you maintain your balance as well. So different herbs that can help you to tap into, you know, your feminine, your masculine would be like Shisandra berries, for example. They are a beautiful balance of masculine and feminine energy in those berries. Reishi is another one. Um, Chaga, of course. Um, Osha root. Um, I mean, mugwort, damiana, those are very two beautiful herbs to work with. One is the feminine, one is the masculine. So these are things that you can work with in your, your daily life to understand your femininity and your masculine, um, helping to ground them through all, all of those changes in your phases of your life. And, and you can call upon these energies within your body to guide yourself through these transitions. And it's, I think it's that awareness, that confidence that you have is how you're able to perform this alchemy and birth in itself is alchemical. I mean, you are transmuting yourself going through, you're going descending down into the spiral, dying to everything that you once knew so that you can be reborn as this new being that can now raise this child contributing to the world, to our civilization that in itself is alchemy. And just taking a moment to be grateful, like that is an active ceremony. It doesn't always have to be, this tremendous thing of candles and flowers and singing bowls and, you know, sacred smoke burning. And, you know, I can just be really simple just saying, like, thank you. I honor this, this moment right now, what I'm experiencing. I feel this. Thank you. Thank you. Do you mind me asking, um, you know, what do your ceremonies look like? I'm sure you probably individualize them, Mm -hmm. um, 
for for your different families that you work with but are there certain things that you really like to bring into it or are there certain things that um, are kind of common to to bring into the ceremonial space yeah there's actually a ceremony I'm preparing for this month we have a new moon um, or between the 17th and the 19th we have a new moon so I am doing a menage ceremony for a young girl she's about 13 she just had her first menstrual cycle so I will be gathering with her and uh, her mother, her grandmother, her father, and her baby sister. And we're going to have a ceremony together in their backyard to honor this celebration of her her bleeding now, you know. Um, so I'm going to be teaching about this wisdom to her and to her family and how they can hold space for her and allow her to come into her own. So much of our culture just, we think menstrual cycles are about, you know, it's either you give birth or like... You, you bleed, you know, and it's, it's more than that. You can honing in on your menstrual cycle just provides you with so much more wisdom and a better scope of life and yourself even. So this ceremony I'm, I'm going to have, um, they're going, it's going to be in their backyard. Um, we're going to have flowers. She is very much in her femininity. So she loves flowers and I want to honor, you know, her energy in this lifetime. So we're going to have flowers I will be playing, uh, I have a sacral chakra singing bowl, and I, I love the sound of, that it creates. I feel like the sacral chakra, that singing bowl sound, it symbolizes the cosmic mother and her birthing this world into creation. So that sound has a really important meaning for me, and I'm, I'm planning to share that wisdom with them. I will be creating an herbal elixir for all of us to work with. So I'm going to work with the herbs of hibiscus and rosehip and blue lotus. Blue Lotus is a really powerful flower to work with. It is, and the priestesses of Isis in Egypt, they would paint blue lotuses all over her temple, and you can still see them today in Egyptian art, in Kemetic art. And Blue Lotus is this flower that takes you within the womb. It's actually called like the, the flower of life, the womb flower. That's It has many different names that all relate to having a womb and a uterus. So I'm going to prepare this and guide everyone through ceremony of working with this, you know, um, and we're just going to share stories. It's, it's very simple. Um, I do have a bit more like intense ceremonies with like plant medicines, but this is just a very simple one to just. That's really sweet. I really like that idea of honoring the, the first bleeding. I know mm -hmm. that's something that indigenous cultures often do. They have a ceremony because that's a rite of passage and here mm -hmm. we don't we don't honor that we don't respect that it, it's you know sometimes it's seen as shameful or it's seen as something you know it happens but we don't even talk about it so I really like that that mm -hmm. they invited you into that space to to help honor that and to teach her about herself and and teach her how to be in touch with herself that's so beautiful Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, you know, for anyone that's listening right now, I would recommend reading about Red Tent and the Red Tent movement and its emergence now during this intense like patriarchal time that we're all living in. It's such a powerful um, practice that's been in place in all indigenous cultures, even across Europe as well. You've seen this; it's been written about notoriously. And I'm I'm just very happy, very happy that families are acknowledging. You know, this menage is a sacred ceremonious time. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so before we wrap up, we actually have a couple of things that we like to ask all of our guests on the show. So first, what is your dream for the birth community? Mm. Uh, <laughs> my dream for the birth community mm. to remember that life is ceremony and whether you are connected to your ancestors or not life is still ceremonious and the fact that you are breathing experiencing life is a gift and it's not meant to be taken for granted nor is it meant to be used to oppress others and distract them from enjoying life as ceremony. And I think in birth, when you're going through that rites of passage, it's really important to remember that you are a wisdom keeper now and acknowledging that wisdom, that life is ceremony and that you are now carrying that energetic medicine. And it is your duty to respect the laws of nature, to respect the laws of the universe and to respect Mother Earth as a living, breathing entity, and that we are living here with her, and we cannot take advantage of her. And in order for us to continue to be nourished and nurtured here, we have to acknowledge her and her connection, and how she heals us and holds space for us, and acknowledge that she too is experiencing life as ceremony. Um, I, I think that's what I would like for the birthing community, because only at that time, Will they be able to consciously birth? I think a lot of people are not consciously birthing. They just kind of think all these ideas about having children and what they're going to do. But I mean, we're in a pandemic right now. All of those dreams have come to a standstill. They can no longer take root anymore. So we have to change our perspectives of, of birth, of life in itself and go through this metamorphosis. And when we arrive at this place of gratitude and we can really see what it is that we're meant to be doing and how we're meant to rebirth our society. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Um, the other thing we want to ask is what are, what one thing are you going to do to, to take care of yourself this week? Hmm. This week, I just entered my ovulatory phase. So I'm going to be very creative <laughs> very organized. I think that's very helpful to be creative. I do a lot of, I just started tattooing. So I, I, yes, I I also paint and I do freelance photography. So it's really helpful for me to be organized and grounded so that I can create freely. And not something I'm going to be working on this week. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Yaya, and talking with us today. We're so so glad to have you here. I loved our conversation. It's so beautiful. Um, before we go, where can everyone find you? Your Instagram, your website, things like that. How can we connect with you? Yeah, so my IG handle is the womb mystic. So the womb mystic. And it's the same handle for my website, thewombmystic.com. And I email thewombmystic at gmail.com. Perfect. And we will link to those in the show notes so that everybody can find you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us on Birth Reimagined. It was a great like conversation. Thanks again and see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. 
Thanks again and see you next time.